Hey, uh, grab your Bibles and uh, head over to Joshua chapter number five on the screen behind me. Uh, for you that were not a part of our legacy banquet, we um, had the opportunity this, uh, two weeks ago now, uh, the opportunity to celebrate our senior adults at a legacy banquet. And we uh, had uh, 43 people that have died over the last two years in our fellowship. And uh, about 40% of those are COVID related. And so we were able to uh, recognize one of the uh, SICU nurses that has been on the very forefront of uh, COVID treatments. And uh, our church uh, gave, I don't know, 20, 25 gift cards out to those SICU nurses. And so they took a picture this past week, sent it over, look on the table in front of them, are they gonna have a good lunch or what? And so uh, thank you, Oakland Heights family, for investing so that we can return those resources out into our community that people that are making a difference. And then the other thing is uh, just a quick schedule. Uh, next week, we'll all be meeting together at 1030. Uh, that will not happen often out of 52 weeks. Here's the weeks that we will be together. And you see most of those are clustered around something called holidays. And uh, around Christmas, we gather together for two, three weeks, New Year's, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we gather together. But this next week, we are uh, gonna be ordaining five new deacons. And uh, Chris Smith, our own Chris Smith, we're gonna be licensing him to gospel ministry. And so I hope you'll come and be a part of that service. So next week, reprogram for just one week, nine o'clock small, or 9.15 small groups, and 10.30, we'll all be in the sanctuary. If you come over here, you'll be sitting on a new gym floor in the dark. How about that? Joshua chapter number five, if last service was any indication, I think you're in for a great blessing. Uh, when you come to the book of Joshua, uh, chapter five is so often skipped over. It's skipped over because you have these two huge events. Joshua four, they're making these, these piling up these stones. Joshua 6, they are shaking, the, the walls are shaking of Jericho coming, coming tumbling down. But in between is a little chapter called chapter 5 in our American English Bibles. And so often communicators, teachers will skip over this chapter. And it's a chapter that we do not need to skip over because it's one of the rare times that you and I get the opportunity to see the inside of what's going on with Joshua. Joshua, in my book project that I hope will get cranked up next year, hey, um, we know so very little about his personality. So very little is said about him on a personal note. We know all kinds of things about Moses. We knew about old Mo before he was even Moses the leader. We, we know about murder. We know about background. We know where he grew up in a palace in Egypt. We know all those things. But when it comes to Joshua, we know just Paquito, just very, very little do we know about him. But in Joshua chapter five, you and I are gonna have the opportunity today to kind of see some background of what was going on in his life. Here's what we can say about Joshua. In fact, the first five books or the first five chapters of Joshua really were a testament to his obedience. Now I wanna remind you, we've got two parallel tracks going on. We've got all the Israelite children that are going through all kinds of changes. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Then they put 2 million people out in the desert with no law, no culture. They think about that. For 400 years, they've been slaves. They cross a Red Sea and now suddenly they're free. How did they not end up in chaos? Well, they had leadership. 
Moses, the leader, kept them together. And then they had that moment where they would not go into the promised land. And so a whole adult generation had to die in the desert. So they went from slaves to being nomads. They wandered for 40 years. Now they're about to be residents. Now they're about to have their own promised land. So you have those changes and that transition going on. And then on the other side, you have three words that changed the life of a military uh, general by the name of Joshua. Moses is dead. (laughs) Those three words changed everything for him. I mean, up until that time, he was a four-star general, if you will, over in a tent with other military leaders. He didn't have to worry about logistics of two, two and a half million people. He didn't have to worry about the spiritual welfare of a nation. He had one job and one job only, reconnaissance and military. Those concepts bred together made Joshua who he was. He was a military man, a lifetime military man. That's all he ever knew. I take orders, I carry out the mission, I'm not the policy maker. All of a sudden, those three words, Moses is dead. And we see really the theme of the first five chapters of the book of Joshua are really a testament to his obedience. You remember chapter one? Moses, you be courageous. Or Joshua, you be courageous. Be courageous, be courageous. Three times. You come to chapter two, and Joshua's told what? Get all the people and let's consecrate yourselves. Let's clean ourselves spiritually and physically. Let's take a bath for once. And uh, we're here at the Jordan River and, and let's prepare ourselves. And the Bible says Moses or Joshua was obedient. You come to Joshua 3 and God says, get the people up to the river. And then I want you to get the Ark of the Covenant and you get those priests out into the water. And when you do, Joshua, you're going to see something. You're going to see my mighty hand that's going to hold that water back and allow two million people to cross over a dry riverbed. Then when we come to chapter 4, Joshua was told another order from God. Hey, I want you to take 12 stones. You get 12 men, 12 stones, and you make a monument to me. You make a monument to what happened here and what I did here, and you make sure you get it done. A, B, C, D, E, Joshua checked off in perfect obedience. Even chapter five, when we come to chapter five, we won't look at those first, I don't know, 11 verses, but in those 11 verses, two very big orders came down from God. Joshua, I want all the young men in camp to be circumcised. This has been a custom of God's people to be marked on those young male boys. I want them to be circumcised, a private commitment. And Joshua said, will do, Lord. And then God says, hey, all the manna, all the food that I've been sending you while you've been wandering, that's gonna dry up, that's gonna go away. I want you now to start eating from the fruit of your new land. Whatever you can plunder, steal, take, raise, slaughter, That's what you're going to eat. I'm no longer going to provide the food for you, the new promised land. And to celebrate that and to consummate that, I want you to have the very first Passover celebration in the new land. And Joshua said, Lord, it's done. The first five chapters are all about Joshua's obedience. But we know so little about him. And so this morning... 
As you see there on your little cards, if you grabbed a bulletin or a card when you came into this place, I hope you brought something to write with. There's some incredible truths that I want to share with you today, really out of about five verses. I want us to look together at verse 13, 14, 15, and then we're going to pick up the first two verses out of chapter 16, and we'll move as quickly as we can. Let's read together as we walk through these incredible verses and listen to what God's word says, beginning in Joshua chapter number Five, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man. Now, I don't, I don't usually mark uh, a lot in my Bibles. Well, I have a couple Bibles that I mark in. But uh, if, you, if you're a note taker, in the English language, we would put quotes around the man. Now, I'll tell you why in just a moment. He saw a man. Just remember that term, standing in front of him, of all things, with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua, listen to this phrase, went up to him and asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground reverent or reverence as the NIV translates it and ask him what message does my Lord have for his servant and then the commander of the Lord's army replied take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy and Joshua did so now if you're taking notes today I want you to jot down this important statement they'll project it for you obedience to the person of God will always bring the presence of God. When you and I are obedient to God, that is a trigger mechanism, if you will, spiritually, for the arrival of the presence of God. Now, what we're going to do today is beat out these three verses specifically and almost word for word and phrase by phrase. Let's go back to verse 13. And let me introduce you to a new word called reconnoiter. How many of you, that's the first time you ever heard that word, reconnoiter? Can I see your hands? I can't see you, but I know some of you are raising your hand. I just wonder who can spell reconnoiter. Just joking. Reconnoiter is a military word that really speaks of looking at a battlefield ahead of time. The military commander would go out before the battles ever fought, uh, fought and he would do reconnaissance. He would reconnoiter. Napoleon was maybe the most famous. He had the ability to go out and look at the terrain, look at different aspects of a battleground before it ever happened. And he had these preconceived notions, if you will, these feelings, these vibe, the vibe of that battle before it ever occurred. We had a real famous military commander, maybe you've heard of him in, in, in the United States here when we started out in Revolutionary War. Maybe you've heard his last name, it was Washington. George Washington. Anybody ever heard of George Washington out there? Y'all are scaring me today, man. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a real, real weird vibe from me. Everybody stand up for just a second. Would you stand up? Stand up, everybody. Come on, get up, get up. Look to the person to the right of you, if you have a person to the right, and say, hey, I'm okay. Would you do that right now? Look to the person at the, to the left of you and say, I'm okay. Now sit back down, all right? That made me feel better at least. It may not it made you feel better, but it made me feel better, all right? Why, Washington never had any type of formal military training 
Of all things, George Washington, did you know this historically, was a surveyor. But I mean, if there's anything that a surveyor appreciates, it's topography and geography. Washington would go out and he would look, MacArthur, Patton, other incredible military strategists, they would reconnoiter. And the Bible says, look in verse 13, now Joshua was near what, what city? Jericho, exactly what he should have been looking at. Because God has given him one order and he hasn't changed it. What's the order? You get ready for seven years of conquest. You get, get, get ready for seven years of battles. You've got you've to wipe out, annihilate, drive out every one of these pagan villages, cities, areas, because this is land that you are going to inhabit. This is land that you and these 12 tribes, this is your land I've selected for you. And so where was Joshua? There he was reconnoitering, watching. I shared in the first service. Maybe I shouldn't have. I just felt like God wanted me to. I shared in the first service. It's interesting. Here's Joshua called to this military task of taking Jericho, and he's reconnoitering. He's right where he should be, getting ready for the battle. You remember there was another famous general, king, king general in our Bible that was also called to conquer many different areas. And I just want to read to you, as I read it, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize quickly. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Listen to these verses. In the spring, at a time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Listen to this verse, 2 Samuel 11, 2. One evening... David got up from his bed, walked out on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a beautiful woman bathing. What a contrast. Here's one man that is called to take a whole land. And what is he doing? He's surveying, he's reconnoitering. Here's another that is called off to battle, and what is he doing? Standing on his rooftop, observing a beautiful woman bathing. One ends up in great success, the other in terrible misery. Just through that end, no charge. Now when Joshua in verse 13 was near Jericho, he looked up, he saw a man standing uh, in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Now what he has in front of him is one word, starts with a W, a warrior. Here's a man in battle regalia with his sword drawn and Joshua sees him with this drawn sword and here's something I'd never seen before. There's two things in these verses that this is the first two times I've ever preached these because I've never seen them before. And I want you to look at it in the text. The Bible says, and he went up to him. Do you see that in verse 13? Joshua went up to him. Now, right outside these doors, we have an armed police officer. If that gun on his belt's not big enough, he, if he can get across the street, he's got, some, he's got two bigger things in the car if he needs those. Sitting here in these seats, we have at least a man or two that, uh, let me just say this, a person or two that have, have a concealed firearm just because we need it. But I'm just wondering if underneath this exit sign over here, if those doors don't burst open and someone walks in with battle fatigues on and they have a sword in their hand, I'm just wondering today how many of you will run over and say, hey, who are you? Welcome to Oakland Heights. <laughs> now, does this become a little more germane to you? 
It's like, what? I mean, you really don't want to mess with a person that has a drawn sword and full battle regalia, a warrior. And so it's interesting because I, I, I just wonder, I'm weird like that. When God said in chapter one, Joshua, you be strong and courageous. When he said it a second time, Joshua, you be strong and courageous. When he said it a third time, Joshua, you be strong and courageous. And when God made this statement in Joshua 1.5, when he told Joshua, no one will ever be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Now note that it didn't say that no one would stand against you. Big difference. God said in Joshua 1.5 to Joshua, no one will be able to stand against you. It gives us the hint there will be those that come and stand against him. And now all of a sudden, just a few short days later, with sword drawn, here's a great mighty warrior. And of all things, Joshua went up to him. He moves to him. Would you jot down in your notes that whenever there's transition and change, there will be opposition. You see, we start seeing evidence of this in Joshua's life. Joshua has gone from a general to the whole commander and king, if you will, so to speak. The spiritual leader, the military leader, the, the logistical leader of a couple of million people that have crossed over a river and that have huge obstacles in front of them. By the way, this is not a body fighting force that's well-trained. This is a bunch of brick makers. This is a new generation of people. They're not even good shepherds. They're not even good agricultural people yet. All they've done is been able to start just some small flocks. And what can you do in a desert when you're wandering? I mean, how much can animals feed off a barren land? And so really what you have is about two million nobodies. And Joshua goes from being a military commander in this operation to being the main man. And let me tell you something. Anytime when there's change and transition going on in your life, you can always expect opposition. And of all things, look at the end of verse 13. Joshua asks, I think, a pretty good question, don't you? How many of you think this, I mean, we, I mean if you put your thinking cap on, pretty good question. Are you for us or are you against us? Hey, dude, are you foe or are you enemy? Are you a pirate or are you a lobo? Are you a bobcat or are you a lion? I mean, I mean, who are you? What are you doing here? And of all things, the warrior responds, did you catch it in verse 14? By simply saying, none of those. None of those. Let me tell you something. Jot it down. When you fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. When you and I fear God, we do not need to fear anything else. Why did Joshua go up to him? He went up to him because Joshua had really nothing to lose, nothing to fear, because he had God-fearing in his heart. He was obedient, obedient. By the way, just a side note here, here in a few weeks, especially when it gets down to playoff, there'll be a couple East Texas coaches that call and say, hey, Pastor Cook, can you come do our game day devotional?" And uh, usually they say, well, you bring the alligator. We heard you took an alligator to the Gilmer dressing room. Bring the alligator. We want to see that live alligator. That's usually what they tell me. 
I said, no, nah, I better not get the, the alligator back out. That was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. I didn't tell him the alligator poo-pooed in my truck going over to the dressing room and all those. A real live alligator. I actually took one into a dressing room. Had its snout taped up. I was talking about it and the thing got down on the floor, started thrashing around. Have you ever seen 300-pound linemen running and squealing like kids? There it was, man, right there at Rose Stadium in Tyler, Texas. But, you know, it's interesting because so many coaches think, so many spectators think, hey, we're going to have, we're going to be real spiritual and God will be on our side. They don't realize that over in the other dressing room, there's a minister over there praying to the same God we're praying to. I mean, think about this. Two teams run out into a football stadium. You tell me which side is God on? Is God on the purple side or is he on the blue side? Is he on the home side or is he on the visitor side? Or is God not on any side and God could care less who wins the game? Maybe an amen there, huh? But you know, that's the way we are in life. We're always trying to get God on our side. We're always trying to do that. Hey God, here's what I want to do. This is my choice. And since this is what we're gonna do, would you join in with us? Would you come and be our companion? Just you being with us would authenticate that what we're doing is right. We do that in church life, we do that in dating life, we do that in marital life, we do that in, in work life. I mean, we're always trying to lobby God to be on our side. And so this whole scene makes perfect sense to me. We have a close up of Joshua. Joshua's wondering, hey, are you with us? Are you against us? Are you one of them? Are you supposed to be one of us? All I know is you got an awfully big sword and you're a warrior. You obviously are a man to be dealt with. And in doing so, I just uh, wonder, wow, Joshua, how do you continue to be obedient through all this? Now look at the, the terminology here in verse 14. Neither, he replied, now look at this, I'm going to give you three translations. NIV says, but as commander of the army of the Lord. Do you see that? Commander of the army of the Lord. The, the King James says it this way. If you're holding that holy scroll, the King, scroll, the King James today. The captain of the host of the Lord. But I like, and I believe the most literal rendering here is the American standard. The American standard translates this. I am the prince of the host of Jehovah. Now that's significant because when you look at the Hebrew language, this is in the Hebrew, it's in the Old Testament. Prince is definitely the first word interpreted here, but sattva, the second word literally rendered means Lord or Jehovah Lord. Literally rendered here, the best translation I think is, I am the prince of the Lord. And what was his answer? I'm neither on your side, Joshua, or Jericho's side, Joshua. I'm not here to take sides. I'm here to take command of everything that happens. Abraham Lincoln was on the back of a train during the height of the Civil War, just six months, actually about five and a half, before he was shot and killed. A reporter, as the train had stopped, Lincoln and his security detail had walked out on the back 
of the very back vehicle of the train where he could get some fresh air and just wave to a few folks. And one of the local reporters ran up to Lincoln and asked him an important question. He said, Mr. President, Mr. Lincoln, is God on the union side? And Abraham Lincoln said, I'm not concerned if God is on the union side. My great concern is that the union is on God's side. And you know, the issue here is not whether this man, this warrior is on one side or the other. The issue here is that this warrior said, I am here, what? I'm here to take full authority and charge. I don't have charge or claim on one side. I have command of it all. Now, let me just teach you something here. For some of you, it'll be the very first time. For some of you, you'll be in full agreement. For some of you, you're going to leave here in the next few moments, scratching your head, wondering, I don't know what to believe. But I think if you really look at it, you're going to come to the same conclusion as many that have, that have studied it for many years. We believe this is something called a theopony. We believe this is the Lord Jesus Christ in a warrior outfit, if you will, with a drawn sword. And we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ made a number of pre-incarnate before he came as a son of Mary. We believe that he made a number of pre-incarnate appearances. Let me give you an example. Many of you have heard about a lion's den out of the Bible. Here's old Daniel and his friends thrown into a lion's den. How many Daniel and two? There were three men in the lion's den, weren't they? But when you read the encounter, all of a sudden, when those enemies looked in there to be sure those three guys were burning up in that furnace, they said, hey, there's not three, but there is four figures. Who was that other character that no one put in to a blazing furnace? And how did that person get in there? There are those moments in our, in our Old Testament where there are what we call theopanies. And let me explain a little bit more. Turn in your Bible, and even if you don't want to turn, would you just rustle some pages so I think you're turning? Would you turn in your Bible to John chapter 14 and verse 21? John chapter 14 and verse 21. As you're turning there, understand this is not a funeral. Usually when you say John 14, people say, oh gosh, hey, it's, it's going to be a funeral message. This is just before the Lord Jesus was crucified. It's a dying man's words. He's talked about, I'm going to prepare, prepare a place for you. He's, he's talked about the fact that one day you're going to come where I am. And, and, but when you get to the end of chapter 14, you see the Lord Jesus starts in an intimate way talking into the disciples' lives about the Holy Spirit, who he is, who he's going to be, what his purpose is, and the fulfillment of this. I want you to look in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 21. Whoever has my command, whoever has my, whoever follows my commands, if you will. Hey, by the way, what, what's the theme of the first five chapters of Joshua? Obedience. What is this speaking of? Obedience. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Keep reading. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them. And here it is. You ready? And I will show myself to them. Now, with your thinking caps on, can you make that connection? 
when you keep my commands, when you're obedient, I will show myself to you. By the way, that word is emphaniso. One word in the Greek language, emphaniso. That word means to reveal, to cause to be visible. Let's see, uh, manifest, to make clear, to disclose. What did Jesus Christ himself say when you're obedient? What was our first major point we wrote down? When we're obedient, that brings about what? The presence of God. Now quickly, head over to the Old Testament. I want to show you this in both sides. Look in Genesis chapter number 24. Genesis chapter 24, and would you scroll down to verse 27? Genesis 24 and verse 27. As you're looking for Genesis, hey, thanks for turning your pages. At least it makes me think you're interested. I'm excited. Genesis 24, 27. Abraham has told a servant, we think it's Eliezer, one of the faithful servants of Abraham, hey, my son, my son Isaac needs a bride. And in that day and time, you arrange weddings. And so he sends his servant, Eliezer, on a very important mission. I want you to find a wife for Isaac. Now we know he finds the perfect bride and her name is gonna be Rebecca. And so Rebecca, in fact, I married a Rebecca and she was the perfect bride for me as well. Come on, let me hear a little, ah, thanks for doing that. Will you cook me lunch now? Anyway, just a thought. Hey, and Eliezer goes all around the country and he finally finds the perfect bride. And so you can't just steal her. You have to go to what? The head of the household. You have to go to her father. And so we have this verse and it's incredible. Read it with me in Genesis chapter 24, beginning in verse 27. Eliezer goes into this house to ask for Rebecca for his master's son, to, to, be, to, to be Isaac's bride. And, and listen to what Genesis 24, 27 says. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who was not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, now listen to this statement. The Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. I like the way the King James translates that better. Eliezer said, I am being in the way that the Lord has led me. Eliezer said, I'm being obedient to my master. I'm being obedient to the Lord. And you know what the Lord has done for me? He tells Rebecca's father this. The Lord has because I was in his way, not in his way like an obstacle, but in the way that he's paid for me, he's provided for me, the Lord led me to the perfect place and the perfect bride. Wow. You wanna know what courses to take? Be obedient to the Lord. You wanna know what the Lord desires for you in the future? The first step to that is obedience. And that obedience, I want you to see this as we transition into the middle of verse 14, that obedience is gonna transition from obedience to worship. 
Look back in verse number 14. Neither, he replied, I'm the commander of the army. He says, I, I, he says, I have now come. It's like he's laid down the gauntlet. I'm here now. I'm in control of all of this now. Not your side or the other side. I control it all. I'm the king of kings. Then Joshua, look at what Joshua did. He fell face down to the ground, reverent in reverence. And he asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, can I just stop for a moment, stop the preaching stuff and just teach something into your heart for a moment? For you that are new to this theopony, is this really Jesus? Let me tell you one reason that we believe this is Jesus from a theos, from a theological standpoint. Everywhere in the Bible, that key men of God were being worshiped when they shouldn't have been, they stopped people from worshiping him. Example, you get over there in your New Testament and Peter does some miracles and he's teaching and evidently Peter was a pretty dynamic communicator himself. He gets into a house of a man by the name of Cornelius and he's there and he does some incredible things and when he does, the whole house of Cornelius falls on their knees and they begin to worship Peter. And it's like Peter... I mean, Peter probably looked around and went, what are y'all doing? Peter, we're in amazed, man. we're amazed of you, man. We're worshiping you. And Peter says, get up off the ground, man. I'm just a person just like you are. If Peter was really truthful, he probably would have looked at him and said, you know what? You don't want to worship me. I'm the ball-headed, knock-kneed, foul mouth." guy that just a few months ago betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ himself three times. You don't want to worship me. You have Paul that goes to Lystra. Almost the same thing happened to him. He did some miracles. He was doing some incredible, incredible ministry kind of things and teaching and all of a sudden, those in Lystra began to worship. And Paul said, oh, no, no, get up, get up, get up, get up, get up. You worship the Lord God, not me. You know, one of the most compelling places in all the Bible that this happened, a guy by the name of John had this vision. He was transported into what we call the Isle of Patmos. God was gonna show John some incredible things. That's where he was able, he was inspired to write the book of Revelation out of that experience. While he was in the midst of this Isle of Patmos, this experience with God, John was so overwhelmed by the angel that was showing him all these things about heaven, John started falling down worshiping the angel. And I want you to listen to what the angel said to John in Revelation 22 and verse number nine. But he said to me, this is the angel saying this to John, don't do that, don't worship me. I am a fellow servant with you and with you, your fellow prophets and with all who keep the words of this scroll, instead you should worship God. Now you say, pastor, why did you tell me all that stuff? I thought you were telling... Did you not find it interesting that when Joshua fell to his face and began worshiping this 
man, remember us marking that back in verse 13, this man that has his song drawn, this warrior, that the warrior never looked at him and said, get up, Joshua. I'm just a man. I'm just a warrior. Just like any other warrior. No, this warrior had something different to say, didn't he? This worship, this, this, this warrior said, hey, as you worship me, remove those sandals for the ground that you're standing on is what? It's holy ground. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you heard that somewhere else in your Bible? You remember another guy by the name of Mo, Moses? He was out there in the desert, you remember that? And a bush began to burn. And out of that burning bush, any old bush would do, was that bush holy? No, that was on, that was on Midian's, Midianite bushes. They're not holy. What made that bush holy? God's presence. What made this ground, Jericho, the future battle of Jericho, Ammonite, pagan ground, what made this ground so holy? The presence of the Lord was there. In fact, this seals it up, doesn't it? Verse 15, the commander of the Lord's army said, take off your shoes for this place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I'm going to do my best in these last five or six minutes to communicate my heart to you. When our worship, write this down, becomes casual and lethargic. Now, before we go any further, just look at me for a moment. You got to understand that from the time that I was on cradle roll at Oakland Heights Baptist Church, I've been in church all my life. I mean, as I'm in, uh, approaching the late 50s in my life, I can walk into a room and feel and read the atmosphere in about two minutes. I can look at each one of you this morning as worshipers. I can almost tell you what's going on in your mind right now. I can tell you where you're engaged. I can tell you a lot of things about yourself just by the way you're sitting. And if you and I are transparent one another, which you don't see that in religious life, in spiritual life very much anymore. But if you and I are really honest, there's not a lot of Lord's Day worship time that we really come with heartfelt worship. Now, I know you don't want to hear that, and I really don't want to say that, <laughs> but it's true. We are the best at going through the motions. And so when I speak to you heart to heart, and I say when you, when you become casual and lethargic in our worship, you and I, we don't need to expect to understand the will of God in our life. Did you sense something here about Joshua in this moment? Face down, here is the four-star general. Here's a guy that, as far as you know, other than one battle, never lost another one. 
Here's a guy that almost had an impeccable record. Here's a guy that knew one thing, when and when only. Here's a guy that in humility is down on his knees, in his face, face down in the ground. You think there was some sincerity of heart? And it amazes me that people don't understand, jot this down, that the worship of God and the will of God are linked together. If you want to know the will of God in your life, then you better be all about being obedient and worshiping him. Now, I mentioned to you earlier, there were two things I'd never seen in this passage. I've never preached before. One of those that was Joshua went to this man with the sword. Let me show you the other one. The Bible says something interesting, doesn't it? It says, you know, of all things, a man standing with him in verse 13, and a, a man standing there with a what? A drawn sword. I've never thought about this before. How and in what form did God come and meet Joshua? A warrior. God could have been a physician. The Bible tells us that God is the great physician. Amen? He could have been a counselor. Jesus could have manifested himself as a counselor. The Bible says what? He's the great counselor. God could have sent an advocate. But you know who God sent? God sent himself in the form of something that Joshua really needed. Joshua in that moment needed a warrior. He's a military man facing unbelievable odds, walls that are super reinforced. When God manifests himself to us, he comes to us in a form that you and I need the most. I brought uh, a, little, a, a little something. Here it is right here. For you ladies that were here Thursday night, any of you recognize this? <laughs> All right, ladies are saying, yeah, I'm stoked. It was paint and pizza for our ladies. And I think this is kind of, I, I mean, obviously I wasn't there, but I'm told this is what y'all painted. And, and, and I love that because what happens at ladies' events stays at ladies' events. What happens at men's events, non-existent. But anyway, we won't get into that. So uh, anyway, the ladies painted this picture. So the instructors told our ladies something very interesting. They said, now as you're painting, as you're painting this picture, almost all of us are going to make some mistakes. But here's what they taught them. They said the beautiful thing about painting is you can paint over your mistakes. Yeah. When you make a boo-boo painting, don't fret it. Just paint over your mistakes. Now, normally, Becky would have told me that, or uh, actually, it wasn't Becky, one of the ladies that participated. Said, hey, can we have another one? We love that. I said, was the pizza the painting? They said, neither. We just love being with the ladies. I said, awesome. 
I don't schedule the ladies' events. Pay my wife off. Maybe we can get another one scheduled. But uh, anyway, uh, she, she was just talking about how much fun it was. And she said, that's what I remember. And you know, doggone it, yesterday, I couldn't get that statement out of my mind. Four hours in the cab of a John Deere tractor. And all I could think about was painting over the mistakes of our life. And you know, we can't. Now, you can do that in painting and art. But in life, it doesn't work like that. When we sin and make mistakes in life, we don't have the authority, nor the ability, nor the power, nor the sovereignty to be able to come back and say, you know what, that, that whole abortion thing, just let me just kind of wipe that out and it'll just go away. Hey, hey, you know what? That first and second marriage, both of them that didn't work, <laughs> that was just kind of a, a, a dark spot here. Just let me fluff up the beard a little bit and it, it'll just go away. You know what? Losing my purity morally before I'm married. You know, maybe there's a do-over. Maybe I can just paint over and start over. Have you ever stopped to think that when the Lord Jesus comes to us, not in, with a sword and a bunch of armor, it's out of your obedience and your worship that God will come to you as well. And he'll come to you in the form that you need at that moment the most. I want to show you one more thing in chapter 6. In chapter 6, the Bible shows us two very important elements that I just want you to jot down. We take it with us. Now the gates of Jericho, look in Joshua 6.1, were barred because of the Israelites. No one went out, no one came in. I love verse 2. We'll talk more about that next week. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, Joshua, I have delivered into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Wow. Would you write this down? When we worship God, he will come to us in a way that we need him. Did you get that from that last section? Be sure you jot that down. If I missed it, be sure. The, the last thing I want you to jot down is this. It is essential that we encounter God's assurance. It is essential that we encounter God's assurance. In other words, a takeoff from that, jot this down, God gives us the outcome up front. Now, as we close this morning, would you just hang with me right here? Here's God in this intimate moment that you and I finally kind of get to see Joshua's heart. Evidently, from what God has done to minister to him, he is just over the top. Blood pressure, stress, where is he? He's on the battlefield getting ready for battle. I mean, before anything ever happens, no doubt. It's like, hey, how am I going to take this bunch of hoodlums over here and make them a military uh, that, that, that is anything to, to stand up to these walls? They're archers. These guys with these bows and arrows are going to pick up. The, the issue is, do they have enough arrows? 
If they've got enough arrows from that vantage point, we have very little opportunity and choice. I mean, I mean, we've got to attack these walls. How am I going to do that? And in the midst of that, God brings this warrior and, and he's just reminded him. When we get to chapter six, we see something so important. What is God doing? He's encountering that obedience and that worship with a sense of God's assurance. He's letting Joshua know, hey, Joshua, you're not fighting for victory, but you're fighting from victory. That's why I've come. I've already won the victory for you. Isn't it incredible that God gives us the news ahead of time? I shared in the first service this morning. I really miss Stuart Linthicum. I miss him. As many of you do. Many of you are aware that a couple of months ago he was taken from us with cancer. And yesterday, a big event in our house, college football started back. Woo-hoo! Let's hear it right there. Now, do I like UCLA and Hawaii? <laughs> Terrible. I mean, I mean, do I like Nebraska and who, who was it? Illinois? <laughs> who cares about them? But the point was, whoever, thank the Lord college football bag. And I just sat there and I remembered when Becky and I first moved to New Mexico, one of the things, every Sunday night we had church stuff going on. And I mean, when you move out of state, you know, you kind of take the cowboy legacy with you. So, you know, we would keep up with the cowboys during football. And of course, Cowboys so oftentimes play that three to six slot. Central time, mountain time, we were in mountain time. And anyway, it kicked the game right into the middle of church on Sunday night. Now I gotta be honest with you, I don't think the pastor's wife would have even gone to church if we couldn't have recorded the game. I want you to know that. But uh, we would record the game and, we, and, and Becky and I would say, don't tell us when we got to church, after church, don't tell us who won. We're going to go home and watch it. We're going to go home and watch the Cowboy game. We're going to watch it. Don't tell us. Don't. And, and we'd say, don't turn on the news. Don't, don't look at your phone. And, and, and I know for we, we, we got into late November and the Cowboys were fighting for one of those playoff spots, which very rarely do they get. Can I hear an amen? But we won't get into that. Anyway, a guy was quarterbacking by the name of Tony Romo. And every Sunday night, Stuart would come up to me before we closed up church and he would take my microphone whatever we needed and he was just always at work and I never forget on on that particular Sunday night he said hey you want to know the, the score of the game one of the guys just told me all about it and for once I said stew baby tell me the score he said man I heard it was crazy he said Cowboys behind four quarter one minute and six seconds, they're four points down, they kick off to the Cowboys, Romo brings them back, three seconds left, they're on the goal line, they got one play left, they score, they win the game, if they don't, they, they lose, they're out of the playoffs, and he says, Romo rolls out to the right, it's one of those run option things, and he says, Romo's being tackled on the two-yard line, he just a miracle, pitches the ball out, running back just kind of standing there inadvertently, grabs it, runs to the goal line, gets smacked, falls over the goal line, Cowboys win. Uh, I, I mean, it, it, time expires. Two minutes later, here comes Becky Cook, be bopping out of her class. 
I'm gonna pick up some tacos. You and I are gonna veg out. We're gonna watch the end of the Cowboys game. I've recorded it for us. Then we're gonna watch, and we always used to watch this. It's not on right now. I think COVID. We watch Caribbean Life on Sunday nights, baby. Last thing we do, Caribbean Life. She said, we're gonna veg out on the couch. I'm gonna fast forward through the commercials. We'll watch the second half of the Cowboy game. We'll watch Caribbean Life, then we'll go to bed. Does that sound good? Yes, that sounds great. I get home first. Sure enough, she comes in, got the tacos. Dude, I already got my feet up, I'm ready. She starts wheeling and dealing, eating a taco. She's fast forwarding. Cowboys are playing horrible. Interceptions, fumbles. Finally, we can see one minute and six seconds left in the game. We're watching it. Becky says, oh, this is not going to end well. And I said, well, let's just watch the end of it. You never know. It may be a miracle. Who knows? And she says, no, we're not watching this. Romo's terrible. We're just going to turn it over to Caribbean Live. I said, no, no, no. I want to see the end of it. She says, I don't know why. There's only a minute and six seconds. Well, next thing you know, Romo throws two long passes. We get down. There's three seconds left. They're on the goal line. And, 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 and uh, timeout. So I just tell Becky, Becky. Wouldn't it be something if Romo rolled out, had that run pass option, he could throw it or run it? I mean, just three yards. Man, it would stop our heart if he was about to get tackled and flipped it out to somebody. She said, it ain't never gonna happen. Romo's terrible. That's what she said. Romo's terrible. I heard he's a good golfer, but he's not a very good quarterback. So she's fast forwarding, comes back on. Romo rolls out. Oh, they, they hit him. No, oh, oh, he pitches the ball. The guy catches it. He, he, gets, to the, get, he gets to the goal. He gets the ball. Oh, it's, I mean, and Becky doesn't rejoice. She looks at me and she says, Stuart told you the score. Didn't <laughs> Now, and of course, I have to come up with a biblical answer. So I quote Amos. Now I said, baby, I just want you to remember, the Lord doth nothing without sharing with his prophet beforehand. I miss Stuart. Aren't you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ tells us ahead of time? how all this is going to come out. All this hurricane stuff and Afghanistan and political upheaval, all the chaos in the world, all this global warming, the world's going to blow up and fry and China's taking over the world. And you, you, you know what? Can you imagine how comforting it was and what it did for Joshua's heart when the Lord said, can I just share this with you, Joshua? Every man inside those walls, and even the king himself, is going to fall under your sword. Joshua, you're never going to fight for victory. You're only going to fight from victory. For I have already won the battle. Where are you this morning? I mean, is your life filled with the lack of obedience of what you're going to do? 
Where are you today in your worship? Because obedience and worship and the will of God, those things, that worship and the will, they're always linked together. And aren't you incredibly encouraged today that when we encounter the assurance of God, to know that he is the victory. What a blessing. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these moments we've had today in your word. Thank you for who you are. Today we worship you. Maybe there's a student that's in this place today that's struggling. And Father, I wish as a pastor I could just take a brush and wipe away all of the mistakes of their life. But no mom or dad, no best friend, no pastor could ever get rid of all those blots in a life. But Father, we know that you have done something to take care of every one of those mistakes in our life. In fact, you've covered those with your own blood. So Father, it's out of that incredible, intense love that you had for us that you came to really repaint the canvas of our lives. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compelling mercy and your forgiveness. Father, maybe there's someone here today that's praying about a church home. Where do I need to be worshiping? Where do I need to be connected? Where do I need to be engaged? Where, where is my home base going to be for ministry that I need to be fulfilling in community? Because we're all called to serve. So many here want to help, whether it be in Brazil or whether it be an, an orphanage here in one of the South American countries, whether it be in Malawi in a prison, where, where, whether it be the Highway 80 Rescue Mission, whether it be a queen for a day of taking women here in our community that have little or nothing, their esteem is at an all-time low, and just pampering them for a day and, and, and just letting them know that God's love is more than enough for their lives. Father, there's service projects everywhere, but Father, we need a base. We need a place to connect and be able to launch that service. So Father, I wonder today if there are those that are praying about a church home and where that needs to be and about that connectedness, small group ministry, service, and intense love for you. So fathers, we continue to worship today. If there be that one that's here today that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, this could be that day that they could turn from sin and self into you for life ahead. Would you take now the breaking of God's word as we have broken it apart and would you put it back together in our hearts in a way that we can apply it and change us? And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.